that thing that lights you up and inspires you, that is something that you really, you have to nurture and trust that. And if you don't do that, it's not going to give you that opportunity. Like, if I logically thought about, like, hmm, should I play sitar? Will I be able to develop a sustainable career? And is there a real, like, I just went for it. And it wasn't easy, mind you. But I'm just so glad that I followed that path because now I'm at a place in my life where it's opening up and, like, I get to wake up every day and do things I love and, and seeing that grow. All right, all right, and welcome back to the Started Somewhere podcast. I'm Ross Salix. This is episode 49, and today we have Will Marsh joining us from California. Now, Will is a musician. He's dedicated his life to playing music, teaching music, traveling the world, playing shows, and really just embracing everything that has to do with music. He plays the sitar, which I love this episode because I actually learned all about the sitar, and you will too, an instrument that you've definitely heard in movies before. It originates from India, has a beautiful sound. He actually plays a little bit for us in this episode, so stay tuned for that. Uh, it's a really great one. He talks about how he got into the business and what it's been like for him through the coronavirus, not being able to tour, really just jam-packed with uh, lots of value. So sit back, relax, enjoy the show. All right, Will, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ross. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. How's your day going so far, man? Day after Labor Day. It's nice. I just had a great trip visiting family in Michigan, where I'm from, and it was uh, it was awesome to get some quality family time and out on the water. And now I'm back in uh, back home in California and just settling into the groove with uh, some good vibes from that trip. So I'm doing great. Nice, brother. What part of Michigan? Yeah. Uh, a little town called Traverse City, which is in the northwest corner. It's not in the Upper Peninsula, but it's pretty far north, and it's just a beautiful little town that's uh, getting on the map more. With uh, um, they have a lot of film festivals and unique things for a small town, so mm. um, love spending time there. And you said that you're originally from that area. Yes, born and raised there. Yep, all my family's out there. You know, yeah. uncles, parents, grandma, everyone's there. Man, so you must be used to some brutal winters. Yeah, they're kind of becoming a forgotten memory. I've been in California for over 10 years, so, you know, I hear about them, and uh, I haven't had to live through one since I was 18, so. There you um, go. But yeah, the winters are long. <laughs> nice, man. Yeah, I definitely, when I'm in the south, like, I don't miss shoveling snow at all. I think that's one of the worst parts of winter. No, just... I'm, I'm not missing that. <laughs> what part of California are you living in now, man? Right now I'm in the North Bay, uh, Marin County, just 30 miles north of San Francisco, a little town called Nevado. It's a great little spot. It's I'm close to the city, but I'm kind of far enough removed where there's some nature and it's quiet. And uh, I just moved up here in March, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Nice, man. I love North California, man. Like the it's Bay great. Area, it's just... So beautiful. I'm on the East Coast. Right. So for you, what is it now? 11 a.m.? 11. Yep. 11 a.m. Nice, man. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here again, brother. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit offline about what you currently are up to and what you have going on. But for the listener, would you mind to just give us a brief overview of what you're all about? For sure. So I'm a musician. I've been a professional musician for over 15 years. And I, I had a point in my younger days where I just knew music was my thing. It was just so clear. I, I would practice for like 10 hours a day. And it was just like, it was my life and my passion. And it, it really led me to California. Um, that's where I, I studied music um, in college at the California Institute of the Arts. And since then, I've kind of developed my path as a professional artist on the West Coast. 
And a part of that journey also was getting into an instrument called the sitar, which um, is from India, and it's a stringed instrument. And my first instrument is the guitar, which, you know, everyone knows the guitar. And I, I got into the sitar in college. I got into the culture. I just went deep into that. And so now I teach and record and perform on sitar. I import instruments. And it's just been a, an amazing journey to see my passion for music unfold to where I'm at now. So yeah, here I am in the Bay. I record and perform and teach and uh, travel uh, to India every year. This year's a little different with the pandemic, but so that's what I'm up to. I'm uh, a lover of music. I'm really dedicated to just top quality sound and 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 music. Awesome, man. And uh, do we have a sitar in, behind you? Or am I I... Yeah, I made sure to have one here. Um, and this is actually the one that I designed. I've designed an electric sitar that has a plug in here. Um, not the average feature of a sitar. And actually, this is a modern one because the original one, the body, for the listeners, the body is a big kind of hollow gourd. And this, you can see, is thin, and it's more like a guitar. And it allows me to travel because, you know, you got to check in this big instrument that's fragile and they break a lot. So this is kind of a new development of an ancient instrument. And, uh, yeah, mm. here it is here. It's got 20 strings and pretty unique sound. Wow. <laughs> Dude. So this is what I, this I, is what I feel I, like I'm about to be hypnotized here, man. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds yeah. good, man. This, is, this has been my trip for, you know, I got so into sitar. That was all I really thought or cared about for about six years. And uh, Wow. Man, you got, a, uh, you got a cobra to go with it or, or what? <laughs> man that's super cool man so for the listeners uh if you want to see what a sitar looks like uh, head over to the youtube version but man that sounds awesome it looks like a pretty big instrument from here it is and this is even the smaller the, the smaller one the old school one is even larger um so yeah it's got a long neck you need to sit on the floor you can't sit in a chair because it actually it rests on my foot and so it's even like, you know, we got to get used to sitting on the ground and then the instrument will come and, and rest here. Mm. So, you know, right off the bat, there's just a lot, a lot of things to get used to coming from a guitar background. Wow, man. Now, how much does one of those go for cost wise? They are pretty wide ranging like guitars. You could get your basic um, beginner sitar for like 800 you can start working up more to 15, 16, and then the upper levels around 2,500. Mm. Awesome, man. Yeah. That's super cool. I've never met someone that plays the sitar before, so it's one of the it. biggest perks of doing the show, man, is getting to right meet on. awesome people doing awesome things. Now, I am curious, Will, how did you get into this field of playing the sitar Versus, I know you said you started playing the guitar, but you know, how did that kind of go about for you? So I was really lucky, even though I'm from this little town in northern Michigan, there happens to be an international boarding art school 30 minutes from this town that I grew up in. And kids from all over the world go there and they live there. And so think of like child prodigies from Yugoslavia and Israel and China, like they literally get sent there to to study music at this academy. And what I was mentioning, I, I kind of realized music was my my path around 13, 14, and I heard about this school and it was like, whoa, I can major in guitar and like do this in high school. It was like this amazing opportunity. So I got to go to this uh, Interlochen Academy of the Arts, amazing school, and it was pretty much a college education. I, I had intensive practice and performances and, you know, I'm with these like crazy talented prodigies and just, yeah, it was a whole unique environment as a high schooler to be in that. And I really thrived off of that just immersion and I love to practice all day. And so when I finished that, that program, I got to CalArts, which I was um, 
really excited about because it it had not only Western music, but music from all over the world. And I was like curious, like I want to learn music from every part of the world. I want to compose and be inspired by all the music that I can get my hands on. And so it was there in college that I, I was interested in Indian music, just like, wow, this is interesting. I, I want to get into this. And I started by playing guitar in one of their classes where it was um, Indian music and anyone could play. There were saxophones and cello and the teacher was an Indian master, and he would compose and write for any instrument. And, and the the music, like you said, hypnotized. Like I was totally entranced and hypnotized by just the the beauty of this sound, and it's very improvisational, and just the depth of it. Um, and I realized I got to play one of their instruments. So eventually, got a sitar in my hands, and I just knew like this is this just feels right, and it it just it lit me up so much that that's I changed my major and I would just practice and practice and that was how I got into sitar and I kind of like to say that the sitar found me in a way you know I didn't think that I was ever going to play it or you know had this idea that I'm going to Cal Arts to learn sitar it it kind of just happened it mm. found me and it resonated you know mm. so that was how it started right um I think that that's a common theme for a lot of entrepreneurs and creators. You know, sometimes stuff just falls into our laps and you got to run with it, right? Part of the beauty, you know, the, some of the best things in life you never would have seen coming. Mm. That's awesome, man. Now, you said that you got into mu- into music at an early age, right? And then you mm-hmm. ended up going to school for it and you majored in music I'm curious if you were to go back in time, looking back, you know, during that time period of your life, what would you say your goals were, like your aspirations? Like, did you want to do this as a career? Did you know right away, I want to be a creator and, you know, record my own music? Like, what what, what did that look like for you? I knew that I wanted to make a life with music and performing. I had a band that I played with, and we played a lot. Um, my town is kind of a busy tourist town in the summer. So it was great. Like, starting at age 16, I'd be playing three, four nights a week, you know, two-hour sets with my trio. And we did we played music that we loved, and then we also had our own music. So just getting that experience of performing, and, you know, we, we made money, too. Um, that, that was there early on, and I just... I knew that I I wanted to make this my life and also though I I was really I just love studying music. I love learning and being involved in music and I just I knew that um there was more music out there that I wanted to learn and that's what drew me to Cal Arts and kind of music for me was like gateway to like the entire world, you know. I really developed a strong sense of geography because I would literally go to the library and check out all the CDs and they had things just from everywhere and I'd you know be listening to music from the rainforest of Uganda you know and like Mm. it just I knew that music was a, a path to like this broader discovery of the world so definitely wanted to perform and write but also there was a some other drive of like this is this is how I want to interact with the world is through the study of music and the practice of music. Mm. Now, you said that you did a few paid gigs, and I'm curious about that. Mm. Um, actually, that thought popped into my head the other night. I went out to dinner, and I saw there was a hired band. For the mm-hmm. first thought that came to my mind was, you know, how do, how do you even get a gig like that? You know, if you're a new mm-hmm. musician... How do you get gigs to play restaurants and bars? And number two, what could one expect to earn performing at like a dinner at a restaurant or something like that? Right. Well, honestly, a lot of it is is just being in a place and getting to know people. And, you know, it's like a lot of things. We're just having that connection. For me, it was like a friend's parents owned the restaurant and, you know, they liked the kind of music that we played and. So it helps to always have some base basis with the community. It's hard to move somewhere and 
and you got to be patient. It takes three to five years. If, if say, you're a musician and you're going to move somewhere and start your career there, it takes time because people need to get to know you, and that's a part of what being a musician is, is kind of connecting to your community. And then, yeah, it's interesting. There's a quite a range of, you know, what you might get paid um, for, for a gig like this. Usually it's maybe a couple hundred bucks for a night set. Plus, mm. um, you'll get fed and you'll have the tip jar out. You'll sell some CDs. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's not like it's going to pay the bills completely. But what it does as a, as a musician, as a performer, the more that you're out there engaging and, and people are hearing you, it leads to the next thing. And so you could be at, at the restaurant playing and someone's like, hey, you know, I've got a wedding coming up. You guys sound great. Let's talk about that. It's really it's almost like a platform for you to just share what you're doing. And so that's a big part of what these performances also offer is, is that next wave of clientele or someone's like, Whoa, I want to, I want to take lessons with you. I really like the way you're playing. Mm. And, um, that, that's a part of it that a lot of people might not see. And even on, on that tangent though, I, I always discourage musicians from playing for free because they need to be valued for their time, right? Like you, you gotta like because people will try to say, "Oh, come play this gig and it'll be great exposure." We don't have a budget for you, but it's like, hey, like you gotta honor my time and my commitment, and I'm showing up with equipment, and you know I could be working something else at this time. So, um, but yeah, you know that that hundred bucks a night or whatever, it's it it's it is what it is, and. Um, yeah, mm. does that give you a sense of? Yeah, absolutely, and I and I totally, I totally agree with you, Will, because yeah, it's just I feel like it's the same with with anything when it comes to rendering services and and whatnot. You have to value your time, right? There's a lot of people out in the world that just want freebies, and they think about how you can benefit them and. They're not really thinking about how they can help you or benefit you. And, you know, sometimes your exposure is great, but you do have to put a price tag on your time and, you know, figure out how to make it worth your while so that you can get the best of both worlds. Because, I mean, we all have bills to pay, right? We all have a lifestyle to live. So, you know, I completely uh, I completely agree with you. Um I'm curious though if somebody is just starting out, right? Like, and and I and I want to talk about your path more in depth. Let's just say right now we have a listener that loves music. They want to figure out how to monetize their music and make it into a career. Let's break it down into some steps. What's the first step that they should take? First step is really kind of identifying who your audience is and you know what what can you offer like really break down all right i'm i'm comfortable teaching some people like to teach some people don't so clarify that off the bat like i'd be willing to go down to a music shop and teach lessons or however that looks um for a lot of musicians teaching is a great side gig you know it's it's fun for me speaking for myself i enjoy teaching so decide whether you want to teach or not. And then the next thing is, you know, um, who, where, can you, where can you share your music in terms of live performances? Who is playing there and how are you going to get in touch with these people? You know, go in there, talk to the, the owner. You really want to be as personal as you can because just an email to a a venue is honestly never really led to that connection for me. You want to go there, talk to the person who's booking, and you always want to have like standards of showing up on time, following through, you know, basic business protocol that any entrepreneur would have really applies to musicians as well. Mm. And a lot of times some people they don't have that sense, and so that gives you a layer above, right? Some people, are they, they don't get back. They're not going to return the call on time or, you know, they're 30 minutes late for a meeting. 
So as musicians, I just want to encourage, like, we are business people. We're, we're creative, and it's important to to embrace creativity and the arts, but, like, we got to be on it as much as anyone because we are doing this as a business, right? So that's something I want to stress for musicians. And then, you know, music is such a broad world. It's like there's so many possibilities now with uh, recording, and you really want to just sit down and think about all the possibilities that your music could reach and you know I have a YouTube channel now and that's um, getting some motion and I didn't put as much time into that when um, before COVID because I was more touring and performing and teaching it in person but now you know online is a huge space for for musicians and think about like what do people want to hear you know what how can I share my music in a channel and, and what can engage them? And um, they, there's so much, you know, singer-songwriters, jazz musicians. And the other thing, the last thing is you really want to have a mentor in your field. Like, mm. Really, that is so important as a musician because it's such a unique path. And, you know, it's it's a little bit unpredictable. Um, it's not like you go to law school and you're going to be a lawyer and you find a job. It's being a musician. There's a certain sense of fluidity in it and having a mentor, someone who's been on that path who can guide you, you know, in the times when you're doubting or you're not not sure. And you, to be a real artist, it's like everyone that people are listening to that we admire, like, they have somehow maintained a sense of like, this is what I do and I'm going to do it in terms of creativity. So to really develop that identity as an artist and that sense of, of owning what you, you do and not, you, you can't doubt it, right? You know, it's like nobody, great artists, they, they do it and, and they're not doubting. And so that mentor can help you, encourage you to find that artistic voice and you need to stay on top of your craft. Like you should always be practicing and thinking about music. And you know, the great the great artists are always looking for more inspiration and more ideas. So mm. these are just some things off the top of my head that I want to encourage any musician out there who's listening to really think about and and. Mm. Uh, That's powerful, powerful advice, man. I love that last one. Find a mentor, right? Mm. Find somebody who's doing what you want to do that has similar results to the ones that you want and just follow them, right? Like a lot of times people think that you need to reinvent the wheel over and over and over again, but more than likely there's somebody that has already traveled down that path that can give you advice to avoid mistakes that they've made or get on the fast track instead of the slow path. You know, in the music world, maybe that means getting more exposure, getting more gigs. You know, super powerful advice, man. Yeah. Yeah, those you know, are big. I, I'm curious. You mentioned, um, you know, your YouTube channel. And, of course, we'll talk about that later on in the show. But I'm curious to know your thoughts on where we are right now in the digital world. Because, um, you know, apps like TikTok, right? Like, mm-hmm. Are you on TikTok? Not yet, no. Dude, Will, you got to get on there. I you know, have I'm to. I'm kind of slow to it. <laughs> I mean, there are people right now that are becoming overnight sensations, viral with one song on TikTok because everyone wants to use their song in their video. And it's like, I'm not in the music world per se, but just looking back, you know, the last 20 years or so, things have changed, man. They have changed right? a lot. A lot, yeah. Like, there is no more sending in demo tapes to record labels, right? Like, it's all digital. Oh, tapes. I mean, I've got a box of CDs that I used to sell at shows. I'm like, what do I do with these? Like, <laughs> they're irrelevant. You know, they're, they're like archaic. I'll just give them away at the next show. But yeah, um, you're right. It's a totally different game. And there are so many layers to this kind of new paradigm that we're in as a musician as musicians and i think it's it's so exciting though you're right you're talking about the ability that anyone can share their their music and it can reach a global audience without like in the old days you got to go into an office with a record label and 
sign a con you know it was such a different game um so I, that's something i'm really looking into more now that i i've very much been an old school artist where i perform and i meet people and you know i teach in person and uh with the pandemic i'm i'm getting more into this new paradigm per se and i think you know i'm i'm not a master of it yet so i encourage listeners whatever you are learning about that consider that a valuable skill it's not going to go away like we're here in this new paradigm um so really embrace that and think of creative ways of of like what what's your message what can you share and chances are there's people out there who will resonate with 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 your message and you know we always want to hear creative things and new things that's what musicians are here to do is just provide that inspiration um so and also like you can record yourself i'm i've learned to do my own audio engineering uh since the shutdown and i didn't do that before mm. i would hire a studio because people will book me for a recording um to record on the album and i would hire a studio and i just you know i i'm not super tech so i that was my attitude like i'll just focus on my instrument and someone else will do that and well why <laughs> I'm learning it now, and that saves me an extra chunk of change when I get a recording gig. I can do it. I don't have to pay the studio. Mm. So these layers of the technological world are just quite vast, and, you know, pay attention to it. Look look at, at the trends and think about how you can get your message and and what what your position is, what your who your audience is. You know, these are all things to to think about and get excited about too, you know? Mm, absolutely. You know, well, I'm curious with all the tours and gigs and experiences that you've had in your career mm. so far, what has been or has there ever been just a nightmare of an experience? Like you just, it did not go well. Yeah. Let's see. Um, Hmm. Well, being on the road, it's like there's inevitably always something shitty that happens on a given tour. And uh, I mean, <laughs> just off the bat, it's like I freaking lost my car key. Like in some, yeah, I was staying in Santa Cruz at, at a friend's house and had a couple days off there. And then the next day, you know, a four hour drive to the next show. And it's like, could not find the car key like looking everywhere in the house and so and I, and I gotta get to a gig and I can't drive my car and it's like we're rural kind of out there and we find a guy who's gonna come and you know do it for us it's like 350 bucks and you know a lot of times when you're on tour some of these tours you're not making a lot you know it's it's worth it it's fun you you know, I would sell cds collect emails but it's like, that's a blow and you got to spend that. And then I had to miss the gig that night. Um, you know, just these kind of hoops that come up are, are just something you got to deal with. And, uh, wow. unfortunately, you know, getting my car broken onto on tour, that, that's, that was crappy. I had like my passport that got, you know, just like when you're out in the world doing stuff, it's a big production to put on a show. It's like these, <laughs> these things happen and. Right. Um, you kind of write it off as a part of like the tour expense of like whatever happened I got broken into or my car had this issue or, you know, stuff like that. Wow. So you, lo you, you got locked out of the, the locksmith had to come open up the I door did, for you. I had to buy like a new key and program it on the spot. You know, the whole thing is a Prius wow. key. And, and how many hours did you have until the show? Like when I missed the gig that night. I couldn't make it in time. And we're, we're, the band, we're, band wow. leader was stressed because I wasn't going to make the sound. He's like, no, just don't play tonight. And, you know, didn't get paid for that show. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just those those things are always it's now, a part of. Now, when, when a moment like that happens, we all, we all have those moments. Um, how do you deal with with those stressful situations when anxiety is high, you feel that panic. 
You know, I try to remember that the whole experience that I'm on like is actually an awesome blessing to be grateful for. To be on I love being on the road. It's like I get to interact with new people and new places with the thing that I I love, which is my music. And so it's like like I said, it's kind of like, like the tour it's like you know something's going to happen on on every tour or whatever it is and try to tap back into that like all right this isn't the ideal situation I want to be in but hey I'm like I'm still I'm doing what I love I'm I'm on tour I'm I'm here to play music and I I will get through this um this scenario and that's kind of helpful for me to just remember like wow I'm I'm lucky that I even get to do this like Mm. do, do what I love and and interact with the world in that way and you know We'll get through it like the 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 next day. We'll the show goes on, on and the next show show goes on. So now, on the flip side, Will, what would you mm-hmm. say is the best experience that you've had so far? Like dream experience, best gig. What was it like? Well, I think one of the most memorable is we talked about the sitar and and that I play. You know, got this playing the sitar very seriously and and I've got to perform in India for like very educated Indian audiences on you know as a foreigner on on this classical instrument and I one of my memorable performances was uh, just last 2019 in Calcutta and it was for the 80th celebration of a great musician who I studied with um, Ustad Ashish Khan and just the it's it's a small room and everyone's really packed in. There's probably you know a hundred people in this very like rectangular um, type of room, and I got to play a set on this really great occasion, and just feeling the audience's appreciation of the music and like their and and in that culture they will literally vocally exclaim when they like something. Let's say kiabate, which means how beautiful. And really feeling that connection with the audience to me is the greatest part of any gig, because when I play, I'm I'm playing, I'm playing for myself first, right? It's like I go into an inner space to access my creativity and and the depth of the music, and then when the audience is there and they're feeling that, and you're feeling them feel it, it becomes like this mutual cycle, and that was very memorable at that performance in Calcutta, and I think that. Every gig, when I get a taste of that, that's like what lights me up as a musician. And that one in particular was like, wow, like I'm, I'm getting to play this music that has been such a big part of my life for the people, you know, and the culture from where it comes. And mm. it was, it was just powerful. Wow. And and how did you go about getting a gig like that of that magnitude? So. Um, I had been going to Calcutta for every year since then, and I developed a relationship um, with the family who organized this celebration, and, you know, they would do book little things for me as I got there, so they really um, saw, my, you know, my dedication and my ability to play as, as a Westerner, and so it, it came just through that time of going to Calcutta and making those connections and relationships. Mm. Now, has there been any challenges for you, um, being that you are from the West and the sitar is a part of the culture in India? Has there been any challenges or have you got any hate, you know, haters just knocking you or anything like that or, or no? Very minimally. And the cool thing is the musicians, like, they love it because you know, they see the dedication and, and the, you know, that you're coming from another culture and that you're committed to it. And they, they, it's like you're an instant family member in most cases. It's just this amazing way to connect. And, um, and then, but then sometimes I think it's people that aren't, they're, they're not a musician and, um, you know, maybe they, they're threatened or they're like oh you're you know what are you doing and that that's actually been very minimal um 
And I can't even really say a time where someone's like really offended me or been mean in that sense um, mm. from from that culture. So it's awesome. And it's really the opposite. It's like there's this kind of excitement and pride that, wow, people from other parts of the world are engaging in our our music and they're doing they're doing it well. And like, wow, we're we're proud about that. And that's the coolest thing about going to India every year for me is just getting to be in that that vibration and you know mm. be in the motherland and and be treated so well it's like i i get taken care of very well and um it's it's yeah so the haters are few which is which is awesome and i think so, for sometimes it was just my own battle with myself right because these guys they start when they're like four years old right and they're just like shredding like hardcore by the time they're you know 20 they're just and so for me, it was my own battle of like, ah, oh, how can I be good? Like, how can I compete when I'm starting at 18? And I'm, you know, that that's more of been the, the journey is just my own ability to accept where I'm at and just be totally okay with that and mm. not put that stigma on. Well, I'm, I didn't start when I was four, and I'm I'm not Indian and something like that. I think it's more been my own. Um, right, your journey. own, your own, yeah. Talk to us about India. Mm. What's it being you being from Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. Living in California. What, what, what's it like over there? It is totally crazy and chaotic, and at the same time, it is beautiful and serene. It's like everything about the human experience is kind of compressed in there. And the craziest thing about India is. There's so many people and so so much going on, but it all just like works out somehow, and you don't know how, but it just does. Like you just the traffic is one example. There are so many people going from A to B at the exact same time, and you're just like you're in the car and it's nobody stops for anyone. It's kind of the rule. It's just like go until unless you're literally going to like run someone over like you'll wait to the last moment and you honk at them that's like that's actually like kind of a kind thing to, it's like hey I'm coming and I'm not going to stop so you honk so everyone's just honking all the time and but people don't seem any more stressed or less happy which is the interesting thing it's like the infrastructure is just wild but there's this real vibrancy to life i mean the food is amazing and people are always like celebrating something, some kind of festival or, you know, some, something religious that, that they're celebrating or they're excited about and families are often together and there's so much color in the the way that people dress. And so it's kind of crazy to see so much chaos and so much beauty all together. Mm. What's your, what's your favorite city that you've traveled to so far? In my favorite India. city, mm-hmm. you know, there's something about Calcutta that is especially endearing. And a part of it is because, you know, it is a, one of the bigger cities in India, but it's it's somehow maintained like this old school, like other world culture, even though, you know, it's all of these cities are becoming a little more Western and modern influences come in. Like you'll see a Starbucks and some of the bigger centers of these cities um but calcutta just it it has this like you can picture what it was like a hundred years ago in your mind and there's something so exciting and charming about that and people are very um they're very welcome and sweet and when i carry my sitar around in calcutta they they're like oh you're you're studying and they'll start to talk to me and and kind of engage um whereas other cities like Mumbai you could call like the New York or Delhi could be like the New York where people are just kind of fast paced and it's a little more harsh and um, you know as a tourist people will try to sell you things a lot and kind of be in your face and Calcutta it's like you know the the shop owner's just kind of sipping his tea and he's not gonna he's not gonna rush you Mm. Um, and so I just love feeling like the old richness of what Indian culture is before other uh, influences from the world, and it, Calcutta really, really has that. 
Um, awesome. And man. I've just got such good relationships there that it, it it's like a second home. You know, I'm curious. How much does it cost to travel from California to India? Because I, I, it can't be cheap. I know it can't be cheap. Oh well, it's it's not that much. I mean, I've never paid more than eight hundred dollars for a round trip ticket. Really? And when I go to my little Traverse City town from California, it's like six, seven hundred dollars because of the small airport. So it's, I mean, the flights are not. That's not the expense, really. Um, and then once you get there, the dollar goes a long way in India. There's what seventy rupees to a dollar. Um, you can get a good meal for three hundred rupees. So once you're in India, it's like you're living pretty well. Wow. Interesting. And that's something that I like to put out there for people who may be curious about it is it's, you know, if you want to go to Europe and spend a month there, like, you got to prepare to, to, to afford that, right? Like, mm. It's the opposite where, like, the dollar is, is not even going as far. But in countries like India and uh, Vietnam and parts of Asia, like, your, your dollar is going a long way. And, you know, it's not quite the standard if, you know, there's... It's it's third world, so it's a little different. But if you just embrace um, the whole journey, it's it's not not that expensive at all. Interesting. Yeah, and yeah. You know, with flights now, you go on to uh, whatever Expedia, and you can find the different flights. And yeah, I I had one that was like six fifty round trip. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I, I I looked at flights to um, Japan. Mm. last year and it was like it was like 4k for like a wow. for yeah. not for one ticket but for like me and the wife you know it was like I was like hey Japan's an expensive trip <laughs> um chunk, yeah. yeah yeah but I mean now with everything COVID has done to the airline industry I feel like the flights are just a lot cheaper now it's yeah crazy. well unfortunately now like you there's no tourist visas for India right now. So I'm not going to be able to go this year. It'll be the first time in a, in a while. Um, cause they're really, they've got a, quite a situation with the pandemic there. Um, so yeah, yeah that's kind of a bummer. Um, and they do India, I think oh, like 80,000 plus cases a day right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping that if things come around, maybe February or something, I'll grab a ticket and, and get out there. But yeah. Mm. Yeah, COVID, uh, COVID's getting old, man. It's getting old, I'm you know? I'm tired of it. Yeah. Today, today was the first uh, day back in school for a lot of kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, how do you do virtual learning for elementary schools, uh, school kids, right? How are, do our first graders supposed to just sit in front of a computer for six hours a day, I just don't understand. I don't. I don't. I don't understand. And I know not all school districts are doing virtual. You know, some are returned back to the physical buildings, but it's just COVID has definitely tossed things up for a lot of people in a lot of situations. And I'm curious to know how COVID has affected you and your business on the business side of things. Cause I know you're into teaching, doing gigs and whatnot. And that was halted for a little bit, obviously when everything was shut down. So talk to us about that from, from the business aspect, you know, how are you doing business wise and you know, what kind of experiences have you had? Right. So it's definitely been a challenge for me as a performing artist and someone who, who teaches in person and, as I was mentioning earlier about you were asking about gigs and how they work, I get clients when I'm out performing in the world. Like that's just the best way for me to to develop my business is when I'm out performing and interacting. And you know that that has all stopped, and it's it's I don't know when it's going to come back. In in the sense of California, we still don't have indoor dining. There's no large groups permitted, so. From, from what I see, all of my contracts and gigs have just been indif- indefinitely canceled. So, you know, that that's tough, um, both financially and just kind of like mentally. It's like, dang, I don't even know when it's going to come back, right? 
Um, but there are some positives that have come out of this. And one of them is I've put more energy into my instrument import business in this time because I'm not doing as many other things. And I've, I've been selling instruments well. Um, I'm, I'm almost out of my stock. So before that was kind of like always on the to-do list of, you know, get into more of the marketing and how am I going to sell these instruments? But I was, I was busy with other things. So it's Mm. cool to see, see that developing and, and seeing, I really have a vision of that being a nice um, compliment to my, my music and my performing of having this business, this import business. I'm passionate about sitars. I, I know them. So it, it's been cool to see that come up. Um, and also I've developed a lot of new skills during COVID. And for example, we talked about, you know, YouTube and I've, I can do my own video shooting and editing now. I, I learned Final Cut Pro, which is a Mac software. And I was like, in my mind, that was always like this untouchable world of like, whoa, video editing, like I'm just going to hire people. And well, that sounds scary. And I actually, I really enjoy it. It's just kind of fun. Like I've mm. been taking lessons and learning from a teacher and, um, and the same with recording, audio recording. I've got my little setup on my laptop with the program Logic, which is a Mac program. Um, and I can record my instruments pretty well. And I've been taking lessons again on that. So you know, these are the ups of COVID. Um, you know, the downs are just like, when am I going to be able to perform again? And when are a lot of venues are, are like totally, they don't even know when they're going to start. There's so much behind booking, um, that a lot of people don't understand. It's like, it's done years out and there's, there's so many levels of business that happen that, you know, I, I don't know when we're really going to be back in the swing of performing arts. Um, but, I'm doing the best in the meantime, you know, with mm. other things. I think uh, it's the only thing you can do, man, is, is get yes. your skits, get your skills right, better yourself the best you can. I do think that eventually we will be back to normal. Yeah, it might take a while, so. but right, there's some stubborn people in the United States yeah. that. Uh, you know, maybe don't want to contribute to the cause or so. I, I I don't know. Maybe it's the, you know some people say that the you know it's delaying the reopening of a lot of things. I I don't know. It's it's a mess. There's a lot. It's know, a it's a mess. Gotta, COVID is a patient. mess. Got to be yeah. patient. But that's cool, man. That you're flipping instruments. Uh, when you say import, are you getting them? Are you buying them for cheaper, like overseas or from? other areas and then reselling them like refurbishing them or what does that look like so so indian instruments are only handmade in india like you can't make them anywhere else in the world because the skill set is very pretty intense and it's these families in india that have been doing it for generations so you know sitars aren't made in the united states and they're not made in factories even they're made in these little rooms like i literally go to my makers and i visit them to kind of just check up on them and um, maintain that relationship. And yeah, like their father taught them and they barely even use power tools. It's crazy. They sit on the floor and they do a lot of it by hand and they put these instruments together. And these are the sitars that every sitar player plays are made in these kind of um, settings. So wow, it, it can be challenging as an American in, in America to be playing this instrument that isn't really made here. And it's, you know, if I need work on my instrument, I can't go to a guitar shop and expect them to, like, do a little repair on my sitar, right? So um, it's been really interesting. I, I kind of saw a need for more credible sources of people that are looking for Indian instruments in the United States. And part of the advantage is that I'll, I'll check them and make sure that things are set up right. Because if you just order something from another country, it's like you don't really know what you're going to get in a sense um so it's it's just something that i saw as a potential and it's slowly i've been developing that and yeah so when i go to calcutta i i go in there and bring some back by hand if not i ship them as well so i've got a a shipment prepared um Mm. it it takes a long time that's another thing about india's time is a little more fluid there it's not not quite as uh 
you know, there's a different flow to time and sometimes getting an email back is easily a week or two before I hear back. So, wow. Um, and I've noticed that consistently through a lot of the makers and, um, but it's, it's definitely fun and, and something it's really kind of gotten me to exercise more of that entrepreneur business mind. And, you know, I enjoy it. It's, it's something that I can, um, add to, to my music performing and teaching and, so yeah, it's been cool. Now, well, I have to ask, next to your sitar, what is yeah. that directly behind you? This one. It looks okay, like a weapon. Uh, the one <laughs> the yeah. So this is actually um it's called the setar and it is from uh Iran, ancient Persia. And so this is what eventually evolved into this big sitar. And so this is, um, I'm not sure if it's tuned right. So it's a, a more simple, delicate instrument, but this is actually the ancestor of, of the full sitar that I was showing you. And India has an amazing like history and story of how this music came about because India has an ancient civilization of its own, but then uh, Persia came around the 1300s and kind of uh, politically took control of North India. So think of like Akbar the Great and the Taj Mahal. These are all part of that influence of Persia coming to India. So this is the original Persian instrument called the setar. Mm. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful music and, and style. And that, that merged with India to create this style that the, the Indian sitar plays. So, mm. um, awesome. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, super cool, man. It looks, and that that was handmade, right? Yes, because it looks by walnut yeah. wood here, and um, yeah, very impressive, man. Mm -hmm. I'm learning. I'm learning a lot, man. Before this episode, I had no idea what a sitar was. Now I feel like I can go teach the next person. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I want to bring things full circle here, Will. We've yep. been chatting for the last 45 minutes, and the listeners, they're engaged. They're inspired by your journey. You know, what's your message to the person out there that wants to pursue something they're passionate about? Or maybe they want to change their course, what they're currently doing. They're not feeling fulfilled or happy. And what's your message to the people? Yeah, so I really have a strong message of that thing that lights you up and inspires you, that is something that you really, you have to nurture and trust that. And if you don't do that, it's not going to give you that opportunity. Like if I logically thought about like, hmm, should I play sitar? Will I be able to develop a sustainable career? And is there a real, like, I just went for it. And it wasn't easy, mind you. But I'm just so glad that I followed that path because now I'm at a place in my life where it's opening up and like I get to wake up every day and do things I love and, and seeing that grow. And I just really encourage people to, to listen to that inspiration and that spark. And even if it doesn't feel or seem like it's a logical thing to do or, you know, maybe a, the, your community or your family, it's not something they do. It's if you know that it it is inspiring to you and resonating with you, you really it, it is your almost like your duty to honor that, that and 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 put that energy in there and trust that. You know, I, I had to really have a lot of trust in this path because there were definitely difficult times and you know, a lot of people will say, Oh, musicians, uh, how are you gonna make a living? And that energy from the outside world you got to kind of tune that out and really, really develop because when you nurture something that, that you love and that is really your own creativity or energy, it's no one can take that away. And at the end of the day, it's like money can come and go, fame or, can come and go, even your health can come and go. But if you nurture something that just brings you life and joy and inspiration, I believe that that will cycle into a bigger spiral of just more opportunity and connections. And 
I think about the kind of relationships I've made through my journey of music, and it's just amazing the the friendships and the you know how everything kind of led to the next thing. It's like it's really it's humbling and amazing. And so I'm just speaking as someone who went down a path that was difficult and was not normal and and here I am like I wouldn't have done anything different so that that's really my message for everyone mm. it's not like you have to like you know you, there there's a balance to life but it's like develop that trust and that that commitment and even maybe you have a family and you're busy like commit to that 40 minutes a day where you're engrossed in this thing that you love like just that alone will will cultivate and, and and you could find yourself you know in a somewhere you never imagined just mm. by that commitment and I think a lot of visionaries will say that you know it's like I never dreamed that this would be possible but I, I maintained that commitment and I followed that inspiration mm. some golden nuggets right there well dropping the heat I love it man <laughs> You know, I'm curious, aside from the um, from your music passion and your, your career in music, what hobbies do you have outside of that? You know, what, what do you enjoy to do in your free time? Yeah, I love um, bike riding is kind of like my daily thing of just it's exercise and enjoyment. Um, and being in nature is really what kind of inspires me, you know. I love driving down a rural road I've never been on, you know, exploring. Mm. Um, I, I visit a lot of the national parks and, and mountain areas and just to really, I feel like nature is kind of like the, the, the balancing force, you know, like, and that as a musician, like hearing birds and running water and um, crickets at night, like that, that's, that's it for me, you know, mm. if I could have a place in the city where I work and stuff. And I'm dreaming of my like retreat sanctuary that's in the mountains with a long dirt driveway and no other houses around. Like I, I just love being out in nature and, and getting that time. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I speaking of like sounds, have you ever been to Florida? I have. Um, it's been a long time since I was a kid, like the Disneyland stuff, but Florida at nighttime mm. in July, you open up the Bug, door. Bugs. <laughs> you hear sounds you've never heard anywhere else. It's unbelievable. But yeah. that's super cool, man. I love the mountains too. Um, I, I lived in Texas for quite some time, and uh-huh. it's very flat there. It's yeah, nothing, not there's no terrain. <laughs> There's no zero terrain. It doesn't exist. Uh, but I've been to the Pacific Northwest. I've been to um, places like California, Nevada, and I just the mountains are amazing. I, I love to ski too. Have you ever went skiing? Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. I grew up skiing. Um, I grew up literally right near a ski hill, and I'd ski every day in the winter. And I lived in Colorado for a short time, and yeah, I I, I still love skiing. Sweet. Yeah, man. Yep. Season is upon us. Indeed. I'm sure I'm curious to see, you know, how what if there's going to be any restrictions or or whatever with Corona going forward, but probably not. I don't know. Skiing is pretty individual, right? You're not really on top of a lot of people. Yeah, you're already. Yeah. Uh, Well, going forward, man, right now we're what is it? September 2020. What's next for you? Well, the next time we chat, man, what, what, what do you have planned for yourself? What, you know, what, what's next? What's the next big thing? Yeah. So the most exciting is, uh, the process of recording an original album that features new music that I've written. And I, I performed it live about a year ago, August, 2019. I did a show with my buddy who I grew up with, um, playing music and a great percussionist named Josh Mellinger. And, this music is different because, like I've been talking, I've studied Indian music and classical, all, all kinds of music, but now I have something that is my own interpretation of all of this, and it's kind of my own voice, right? Because when I'm playing the traditional sitar, it's like I love it, I'm always going to do it, but it's not fully my essence, right? There's something, as an artist, where you start to you learn all these things, and then something comes together, there's an integration, and so... I'm in the process of recording this album that I'm really excited about. 
And um, another thing is I'm shooting some online courses where uh, the exciting one is, is Indian music. It's super beautiful and, and rich and complex. And I want to give other musicians a taste of being able to study that. Like say you're a jazz musician and you're like, oh, I, I want to learn a little bit about Indian scales and rhythm. I'm shooting a course that's designed for any musician who wants to kind of broaden their musical vocabulary. And since COVID, kind of seeing the the rise of online courses and, um, you know, that that platform, and that's really exciting for me too, to be, to be able to share the richness of this music with more people. Awesome, man. Hey, Will, if you need any help with your online course, that's like my specialty, man. Oh, right on. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Sales funnels, email follow-ups, email campaigns. That's like... My sitar. <laughs> so it gets that's, me going. <laughs> that's great, man. Yeah, man. That's awesome, man. And I can't wait to check out the album, man. Um, right you know, you, you, you're definitely doing some awesome things. And, uh, you know, you have a super inspirational story. I want to thank you so much for sharing. Now, for the listeners out there, you, you teased them a little bit when you picked up that sitar. But they want to hear more. Ah, yes. What's the best place for them to do so? My website is willmarshmusic.com. From there, you'll see my YouTube channel, and that's a great spot to visit me. I've got a track on Spotify. Um, if you search Will Marsh, you'll see a picture of me with a sitar, and I've got a, a short track there. There's more to come. And um, you can check me out on Instagram where I share just a lot of daily snippets of music, uh, Marsh Strings is my Instagram handle. And uh, those are the best places to find me. Awesome. Well, with that being said, Will, I want to thank you so much for stopping by the show and sharing. And uh, hope you enjoy the day and look forward to chatting again soon. Right on, Ross. Thank you. Take care, man.